Listener Production. Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. My name is Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and uh, thanks for joining me on the show. This is how the show starts. I ask my guests who they are. So, who are you? My name is Jason Leong. I'm a stand-up comedian from Malaysia. It's nice to have you on the podcast, Jason. My pleasure. You're a hero of mine. Uh, (laughs) You may not know this. I did not know this, (laughs) but now I'm very glad that I've invited you on here. That's right. I tell all podcast hosts that they're all my heroes of mine. That is a good strategy, by the way. You've Uh, really got me on side. (laughs) I mean, you already had me on side. For those who don't know, I actually watched uh, Will uh, all the way back in 2008 uh, in, in the Sydney Opera House. Uh, my wife, we were on holiday and my wife bought me a sticker to your show as a birthday present because I, I love stand-up comedy. It was ages ago before I ever did stand-up comedy. And uh, yeah, your show was great. I, I can remember one of your jokes, which till today is so funny. It, what? The joke was, okay, I'm obviously I'm butchering it. That's okay. okay. I mean, I wouldn't remember it to be able to yeah. like not butcher it either. Uh, so, yeah, so I just want to hear the nostalgia of the story. <laughs> I want to so, hear what struck with you. So this is 15 years ago yeah. and Will goes, uh, a friend of mine says to me, hey man, don't judge me, but I like golden showers. And you know what, guys? I judged him. <laughs> brilliant. It's so brilliant. You know, you know how I know it's so brilliant? I do it all the time at my shows. It's my closer. Uh, yeah, it, it goes well still. Oh, very well. Oh, well every great. year. Every year. <laughs> it's a perennial. That's the great thing about it. It's a perennial. So, Jason, we've, got, we've got off to a fun start. But uh, uh, yep. this is actually the first time that we've met in person, I believe. Is yes. it not? Yes. yes. So, um, I, yeah, super interested to have you on the show. Super interested to hear your story because yes. it is one that fascinates me because you mm-hmm. talk about being, uh, you know, uh, Malaysian in that description you yes. talk about uh, so tell people what's your comedy story you talk about seeing shows before you did yes. stand up comedy so let's fill people in let's let me get to know you at the same time as the audience hopefully gets to know you a little right. how did you come to stand up comedy because I know the thing that I do know is that you were doing something yes, yes, pretty yes. interesting before that so actually when I was in Sydney I was on a holiday slash uh, elective I was with my wife. We were in medical school and then we uh, we were touring Sydney and uh, Melbourne. Then I saw this guy. He did a joke about golden showers mm-hmm. and I thought, wow, wow. I want to do that I've too. I've got to get out of medicine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, I studied medicine and I graduated in 2009. I worked as a doctor for about four years. And then in that time, in 2010, there was like a fledgling stand-up comedy movement in Kuala Lumpur because prior to that there was no stand-up comedy scene so there was an open mic show that happened every Thursday uh, uh, once a month on a Thursday so my wife at the time girlfriend she said hey Jason check check this video out you know um, uh, I think you can do better you know? so it's a bunch of my friends doing but now my friends doing like yeah it'd be nice to try so one day I took leave uh, on a Thursday and a Friday, I drove down from where I worked. I was working four hours away from uh, the city. And in that drive, I just formulated some jokes in my head. Told those jokes at the open mic. Uh, I was given five. I ran the light. I, I did nine minutes. But uh, <laughs> typical, as you do. And then uh, it went well. So ever since I, the moment I got off stage, I said, you know what? This is amazing. I would love to do this again and again. You know, And that started the seed of me going, uh, I want to quit my job and, do comedy because it's a, a tough 
job being a doctor anywhere, but it's even harder in Malaysia because we are poorly paid and we're always bullied in, in, at the workplace. So fast forward to 2014, uh, I've decided to, I've done comedy for two years and worked as a doctor. And I said, you know what, uh, fuck, fuck this. So I, I have to, one has to go. Yeah. Because I'm too tired for, from both. So I said, okay, let's try three months of unpaid leave. And that became six and that became nine. And then uh, ever since then, it's just me being a f- comedian full time. Yeah. So, I mean, what a story. Like, I mean, so much of it that is fascinating to yep. me. Like, was, was, is, still, I'm interested in where medicine fits into your life. Was it a passion of yours? Was it something that you grew up, you know, wanting to be a doctor, wanting to be able to heal people? What, where did that come from, yeah. firstly, before we talk about comedy? <laughs> oh, very good. Uh, very few people ask me this question, but yeah, um, initially, uh, it's quite surprising to me that my parents didn't actually pressure me to do medicine. I think it's just that type A neurotic personality that go, okay, I love science. Uh, I love this, the science stream. And, you know, at the time, the very top of the science stream is medicine, you know, at least in the eyes of parents and society and our culture. So I wanted to be good at it. And I did enjoy the idea of helping people, uh, curing people, of course. But then... Once you start going into uh, the system, you realize that there's a lot more to just healing people. So there's a lot of bureaucracy. It's really tough work, you know. Uh, the first day I was on a ward as a uh, medical student. Um, and this is the day where we, after two years of book learning, we get to see actual patients smack in the ward. And one of the chief surgeons uh, said to us, he said, I want you all to know that you are not here to save lives. You're here to save cost. <laughs> and that is the brutal truth, especially right. when you're a new doctor. You're not here, you're not going to magically save a guy from a coma or a heart attack. You're just here to prevent even further uh, illnesses from happening. And that's it. And that is c- quite a sobering, yet very typical of surgeons. They tell you the brutal, the brutal truth straight away. So yeah. And then since then, so it was uh, a tough journey. And then when we were house officers, which is uh, interns, you call it here, you had to work like uh, on-call shifts six to eight times a month. And when you're on-call, you do a 34-hour shift. So to get in your head, it's like if you start work, if you're on-call on Monday, that means you start work on Monday like everyone else, 7 a.m., you finish at 5, your friends go home, you stay on in the hospital from 5 until the next morning, 8 a.m., and then you continue that day's work as well until 5 p.m. And you go home on Tuesday, 5 p.m. You go to, you go to work at 7 a.m. On, th- on a Monday. You leave work Tuesday, 5 p.m. So there seems to be in every medical system some version of that. Like, you know, from, it, weirdly enough, from country to country, it becomes part of the teaching of medicine seems to be this idea that the interns... I mean, it has been popularized in American media. You yes. can see that it's often part of storylines that yes. are set around hospital are these long hours. Yes. And it seems of all the jobs mm. that you don't want to have people yeah. so tired yes. and worn out yes. and on that sort of schedule. Thank like, you. I mean, like stand-up co- comedy, we limited it to about an hour a night. Like <laughs> yes. that's that's well and truly enough because if you try to do 23 hours of it in a yeah, row, yeah. unless you're Mark Watson at a yes, yes, festival yes, yes, doing yes. it for a purpose, <laughs> it's quite exhaustive yeah. and you're not at your best to be able to do that. Yeah. They don't trust comedians <laughs> to do a 26-hour shift. So why are they trusting yeah. people who have had lives in their hands? Yeah, I, I used to make this comparison. Um, 
you realize that uh, uh, pilots, for example, right? They they have so many regulations. You got to be well rested. You you can't drink over the, uh, at night. You 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 must be ready to go. And they, they make sure you have enough rest between flights. There's a maximum number of uh, flights you can you can uh, fly in one week. Whereas a doctor, like they, they just punish you, throw you to the deep pool, and just and survive and just uh, do your job. And and the reason is because if a doctor uh, fucks up, max one person dies, one patient dies. If a pilot fucks up, uh, two hundred people die. Uh, they lose a plane which is worth billions, insurance, all that, all that. So a, a pilot's life, sadly, <laughs> yeah, viewed in that lens, is yeah. worth more than a doctor's life. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, and, and that's the sad reality of it. And yeah, it's 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 punishing, it's grueling. You know, and two things that happen. One is, um, it, it, when you survive that system, or when doctors survive that system, they perpetuate the cycle because. Then when junior doctors come along and they go, you know, it's too long the hours. Then they go, the the seniors go, hey man, if I went through it, so can you, you know, it was tougher doing back in my day, you know, and so if, if because I was tortured, therefore people after me must must be tortured. How do you feel about that? Because I'm very interested in this idea of because we like it has a broader um, implication in the rest of society because a lot of the time. You know, like people are locked into this pattern of this is what I had to go through when I was young or when yes. I was coming into this job yeah. or how I paid my dues. Therefore, the next generation has to do it yes. regardless of the fact that we've made advances and like, you know, all these things <laughs> that have said, oh, maybe this isn't the best idea. Yeah. But because I had to personally suffer it, other people are going to have to personally suffer it as well. Yeah. I... I have many and myriad flaws, but one of them isn't that. Like, right. I don't feel like other people need to have suffered what yeah. I suffered. If yeah, we've yeah. come up with a better way to do things, yeah. uh, then exactly. great. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm not one of those comedians who thinks that there's a particular way that you have to pay your dues. That, like, Oh, yeah, of you course, know, no. I, I don't look at young comedians and say, oh, well, if they can't play the blah, 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 <laughs> then they're not a real comedian. Like, no. no. Especially not in this day and age. Right. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and I'm not judgmental of someone who's built their... Like, you know, yeah. uh, they're a TikTok comedian. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But still, people still need to like what they do. Yeah. So People still buy tickets. Right. There's something there. It's right, a thing. Yeah. It's a yeah. broadcast medium. Like, yeah, yeah, so yeah. I don't have that. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, are, are you, what, what part of you, like when you hear that, mm-hmm. that perpetuation of cycles, yeah. are you someone that has that within you or is that not something you're interested in at all? Well, I think, uh, you mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, when you say part of the, part of the furniture, right. Uh, and, uh, I, there's this movie, um, Pirates of the Caribbean. Have you heard of it? <laughs> right. And in, <laughs> there's one scene where, you know, uh, in, in the, the second in the sequel, where this guy, I can't remember his name, he's one of the, he's one of the crew members of the ship, of, of Davy Jones's ship. And he's trying to get out. He's, try, he's trying to be a good guy. But, and he says, the longer I'm in the ship, I become part of the ship, part of the crew, part of the ship, part of the crew, part of the ship. So like, and I say this to my wife, you know, who is still a doctor to this day, like the longer you are in the system, the more you'll go, yeah, they, they should suffer. They should, we suffer, they should suffer. I'm, I'm lucky that I got out and so I would say 90% of me is like, no, you don't have to suffer. You don't have to go through the grind, you know, or, or you don't have to be tortured to learn. There are better ways of learning. Look at Australia, for example. The doctors here are not tortured and Australia produces some of the best doctors in the world. So it's as if like you don't have to, you don't have to cane your children 
to raise good children. Yeah. If there are people the who... The torture isn't the important Yeah, bit. yeah torture is not... It's yeah. not it seems like torturing <laughs> and making sure doctors are, you know, uh, of, of sound mind uh, and make them happy, make them better doctors. You know, who, who would think, right? I mean, it seems like it might work like that. <laughs> yeah, it may be. I don't know. But there's also 10% of me that goes like, although we can remove the torture element of the training part, somehow or other, in that old torturing system, there is that idea of there are certain standards that you must meet. The way to meet those standards are wrong, but you must have those standards. And there's one incident where I go like, you know, I try, I'm trying not to go like back in my day, you know, but I, I, I try not to do that. But there's one incident that made me go, you know, back in my day, which is, <laughs> so my wife had um, a benign uh, thyroid cancer. Uh-huh. So she had to go to, go for surgery she's fine now and it's, it's one of, it's, it's a kind of cancer where if you had have, if you had to have cancer uh, get that one because it's 99% benign so she went to the hospital she was admitted and then they did the surgery and this is the second the day after the surgery so she's in a ward uh, this is like 5 years ago no 8 years ago this is in a ward where there's like 10 patients and there are like 12 interns right? 12 house officers so I asked them a very simple question I said hey when is my wife going to be discharged a very simple question and then they, the first guy is like ah uh, okay uh, I don't know then look through the computer ask his friend excuse who has the patient discharged and then the second friend is, ah, I'm not sure and then ask the third friend and the third friend goes don't ask me I wasn't following the ward rounds so he, back and forth and I remember thinking you know back in my day <laughs> there were 30 patients yeah. there were 5 interns and we know precisely bed 1 to bait 15, what's going to happen? Bait 15 to another, to bait 30, someone else knows. So we all kind of, we had five people could could cover the entire ward. And when you're getting discharged, it's a very big question, a simple to answer question because you need to fill up the bids. So at that moment, it's like, you know, back in my day, you know, five people could have done your job of 12, which you're barely doing now. But that's the only one incident. So I think we can remove that torture element, but there are certain standards to be met. Same like in comedy, for example, like, you can you can be a TikTok comedian. That's great. Sell tickets. I'm really happy, but you you can't be stealing jokes. You, you can't be. You don't have to slog your way through open mics and getting your soul destroyed. But don't do don't do don't do bullshit like stealing jokes. You know. Or, yeah, or, or, there yeah. can be new rules in things, but standards must be. Made. But there still must be some rules <laughs> of some kind. Yeah, like, something, yeah some, some we're not saying yeah. that all the old rules were good rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just <laughs> yeah, saying yeah, exactly. that we need some. some That's rules, all yeah. there is going to be. So uh, tell me, like, before we move, you know, onto comedy completely, I'm, I am very fascinated by, you know, medicine in general. Mm. And, like, I, I, I think probably the easiest way for me to ask this question, because there's probably so much I'd like to ask, so rather I'll keep it a bit general and, and see where it goes, which is how scary is it? People always ask about stand-up comedy, you know, and whether it's scary. And the truth of it is that, like, it's scary because other people think it's scary. But to us who do it, it's mostly not scary. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's a skill. And as yes. long as you can master the skill, it becomes yeah. not very scary. It's terri- yes. It's the fact that it's terrifying to other people that makes it fun. But, yes, like, when right. you're talking about medicine, then, mm. then often there's genuine fears there. You know, people whose lives are on the line, you know, people who are in emotional places where they don't know what's wrong with them. They can't understand. You don't like everyone has individual circumstances. Like what? what yeah. Is it scary? Is it like a scary job? Yeah, okay. So, uh, if, uh, my wife's an uh, anesthetist, so she's the one in charge of the ICU and she's the kind of doctor that will put you to sleep when you go for operations. 
So there's a line in the the forward of the uh, anesthesiology textbook, which I think applies to a lot of medicine, which is anesthesiology is 99% boredom and 1% absolute terror, which is like, for example, if you if, when she monitors operations, uh, I've did I did a short stint in uh, anesthesiology. Ninety, if you do a hundred surgeries, ninety nine will be fine. You know, they go in, they come out, they're fine. But it's that one percent where they push the red alert button and everyone rushes in to save the patient's life desperately. That is a moment of terror. So, and I think that's most of medicine, right? Ninety nine percent of medicine is just yeah, come in, you got a cough, you got flu. Uh, you'll be fine, go home. That's 99%. But there's that 1% which is gut-wrenching, is uh, horrifying, and it's sad. But that's that's life, you know. Every doctor goes through that. Even for me, like I did four, four, uh, five years of medicine, I've seen uh, really horrifying stories of both like, you know, mistakes happening and also uh, people suffering. But that's just 1%, you know. So there is that. But it's not... It's not like a like it's not it's not like a gray gray's anatomy episode where it's drama from act one to act three. There's a, there's a lot of boredom in between. But when it happens, it it is scary. It is terrifying. Yeah. And part of just like how, you know, uh, people ask us, you know, like, hey, do you get nervous? Do you get scared? And the truth is, yes. Before every gig, we get nervous. But after a while, you get comfortable being nervous. It's the same with uh, medicine, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, and I think that is a good way of of putting it as well about stand-up comedy, which yeah. is that you get used to being nervous. Yes, It's yes, not yes. that you are without nerves. You just get more experience also, which I imagine has parallels with medicine, which is that you understand that problems will arise, but you are more equipped to be able to deal with those problems because yeah. the more you do it, the more you've dealt yeah. with those problems before or exactly. problems like them before. Precisely, precisely. So like, for example, like, you know, if, in like uh, we've been doing for several years now, and there will come a, a show or a crowd where you are almost bombing or you bomb. Let's let's just say we, you bomb and you go like, when it happens, it's horrifying, of course. But as you, as you do more, you, you get more comfortable uh, bombing. It's the same with uh, doctors, you know. Like um, they, yes, they are more comfortable dealing with a patient's death or, or suffering or morbidity, but we, because they know how to handle it, it gets they get better at handling, but at the same time, it's never, ever, ever more pleasant. It's just the same thing. It's just that we, we can have more tools within ourselves to um, face this head on. I mean, let's just hope there's not a surgical Stuart Lee who intentionally wants to bomb for a while ah, just so yes. that he can prove that he can bring them back. Like yeah. that's, you don't want that doctor when you walk in and he goes, look, I'm going to almost lose him, but yes. I'm doing this on purpose. Yes. And, he, and he, he'll walk out of the theater yeah. around, shouting around the whole ward and then coming back, do you know what I'm doing? Oh, that's funny. That's hilarious. And of course, there'll be not many surgeons who do a lot of crowd work. You know? Where are you from? Yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with you? What's your name? What's your ailment? That's true, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, so uh, let's uh, talk life philosophies because that's the broad premise of this. Um, look, it's really just a pun on my name, right? Philosophy. Well, well, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but you need to have a... Free will. You need... I've, you know, I'd already done a show called Free Will. Oh, yes, that. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that might have been the one with Goldish. Yes, 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 yes. I think so. I think so. Holy shit! Because I'll Google that. Free, uh, Will Anderson, two thousand eight. Yeah. No, is, so yeah. um, 
Okay, so the story you you told us, you know, about going from medicine to stand-up comedy, like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I want to be able to explore that, but I want to explore it through the prism of how you look at the world because I think that we're getting to know that a little bit now. So this is a good place, it feels, to me to yeah. ask you if you have any life philosophies. So do you, do you have any? Yeah, I think, oh, well, I have, you know, most people have several, uh, but the one thing that came through last year uh, which really, I feel, I believe really strongly in this. It may not be a philosophy, but it, it may be a, like a, a, a mantra, which, uh, which, uh, which is, so last, uh, I'll tell you what happened last year. So last year, you may not know this, but last year in Malaysia, um, a friend of mine, a fellow comedian, he, uh, he was arrested for jokes that he put up online. And what had happened prior was his comedy club, uh, they had a, a, an open mic night and a lady went on stage at this open mic night. Um, she she said that she's Muslim, and then she took off all her clothes and all her, and her hijab, revealing like sexy sexy lingerie underneath, and said, "Yeah, what's up, motherfuckers?" And it was a very horrendous act, uh, and they banned her for life. The problem is she uploaded that video of her doing that, and someone else had downloaded it and re-uploaded it with the words, "This is insulting uh, to Islam." And what happened then is uh, the mob. Uh, you know, in conservative Malaysia, it, it, it's it's it, that, that we know that shit is going to hit the fan. And what happened was uh, the 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 comedy club was shut down, and my my they they the, the mob did some research and they found that oh Rizal is also a comedian who owns he's the club owner, but he also he is a comedian. So they got his Facebook page and Instagram, and they saw that yes he had some clips which you know he he's a Muslim guy as well, but he, his stand up comedy touched on religion and race. So they lodged a police report and uh, the authorities had no choice but to put him in jail for like a, a day and he's undergoing a criminal, uh, a criminal trial now. And it's it completely blown out of proportion. You know, and the whole dialogue about freedom of speech and we, do we have that in Malaysia and how far do we go to freedom of speech. But what, really, what I really felt at the time is that uh, I feel really sad, felt really angry, but the, the thing is, and this is the mantra I have in my head, is that all art is rebellion. Songs, dances, movies, stand-up comedy, it's all challenging the status quo, you know? And I think that really came true to me because like, everyone else was really supportive of the stand-up, the stand-up comedy community because they know that in Malaysia, sometimes Malaysia can get a bit uh, authoritative. They can get a bit, uh, how to say, they can clamp down hard on people's freedom of expression. And when that happened last year, then I, it really became clear to me that all we do, especially if you're, you're doing art, um, is rebellion. We are rebelling against the, what, all we, most of the, a lot of jokes in Malaysia are about what's happening in our culture, what's happening in, uh, jokes about government, jokes about politicians. It's all, it's all rebellion. Even, even a, a, an innocuous joke about how, especially for Asians, like, oh, you know, whenever Chinese New Year comes along and our aunties go, hey, when you're getting married, when you're getting married, then there's a punchline about them. That's rebelling against the old archetype that we must get married at a certain age, you know. So it, it's since then I realized that a lot of what we do, especially as stand-up comedy be, uh, comedians, because it's one of the most confronting, confrontational art forms. You know, I'm here on stage talking to you, giving you my opinions, you know, making you laugh and support my ideas. It's very, it's very confrontational, you know. So I feel that all art is rebellion. I in 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 that's what I. That's one of the philosophies I have now. I, I, I love that all, all art is rebellion. I love, and I think I want to circle back on that a little bit. I just want to just 
Not to pull a pull a tiny thread yes, yes, here yes. at the idea of like you consider your shows to be confrontational. No, 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 like, no, not my shows. Like, like in, in general, in general, yes, like yes. as in, but like is, you talk about making the audience laugh. Like yeah. there is an element of uh, you're releasing the laugh. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not making them. Like yeah, they're, yeah, they're yeah, not yeah. there against their will. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, they yeah. all <laughs> bought tickets Come and signed out. up. Like, <laughs> hey, fucking love. No, no. I think, that, yeah, yeah. I think we're rarely making people. I know it's the language know, we use. Of course, yeah. But like it, we're rarely making people laugh. We're yeah. giving them permission to laugh, or yeah. we're sharing a laugh, yes, or yes. we're collaborating on a yeah. laugh. And I think that's the difference. So yeah. uh, well, you, you've hit a very good point. You're right. Is that so? <laughs> when when is the sh- when you're talking about a show? Yes, of course. Yeah, they've all stood in line. They bought tickets. They're there, and they're, they're, they'll probably laugh at whatever you say. Because uh, I'm a fan of Jason Leon. But when you when it become it becomes a problem when it's a clip. Yeah. And it's online. Of course. And then it's spread. It be, it becomes viral and it sp- spreads to outside your circle of people who know you and love you and then it goes to the fringe and then these are the people who like and without context right we've lost all there. context yes people yes. aren't there anymore they don't see the broader context they don't know yeah and and context is super important but how do you decide what it is that you're going to talk about in the way that you're going to talk about it within that system like mm. like how does it actually influence you on a like day-to-day basis as somebody who works in that world, who knows that art is rebellion, whether it be against cultural stereotypes, mm-hmm. you know, current political situations, social norms, whatever the rebellion is, the, uh, there is this essence of art as a rebellion in every moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, when you say that, like, it doesn't need to be, you know, you know, I'm like burning a flag and storming the castle rebellion. It like, be, it's not that, like yes. Jerry Seinfeld talking about, you know, cell phones, mobile phones might have that element of he's rebelling against the prevailing notion that everybody has about that particular topic. Yes, like, yes. there's a rebellion, small or large, inbuilt into. So I totally relate to what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. But you also live in a cultural context where mm. there are, as you said, and, real life consequences to that. Like, you know, not just the fact that you could end up in prison, mm-hmm. you know, the criminal charges, these things, but the fact that there are people who repackage what it is you do, put it in a different context and then feed it to people who don't like, who, 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 who may not appreciate exactly what you do. Right? Yeah. Right. So this is, uh, I think one of the good things about, um, well, one of the few good things is that whenever there's limitations, that's where your creativity will increase because you got to work around those limitations. Um, in Malaysia, at least because, you know, we go in with eyes wide open and you know the hidden rules. Ten years ago, when comedy first became really popular, there's these, uh, the three R's that you're not supposed to mention. And these three R's came from the hidden rules of the mainstream media, right? Which is uh, race, religion, and royalty, right? So knowing that limitation, so like I, I make it a point to not make um, such, how to say, um, outlandish jokes against, say, religion, for example, right? Uh, and, and, and as long as, uh, in my show this year, I do talk about it, but I'm not criticizing the religion. I'm t- criticizing the people who, uh, who pretend to be religious. So it, you have to circle it around a little bit. Um, try not to mention any particular person by name you know and as long as the message comes through and you know it is an old trick in the book i'm sure you know uh, that if you can make them laugh it's kind of it's okay because they have 
when laughter is a bit of a surrender, so they, 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 they'll be okay with what you're trying to say. You know? Apart from that, sometimes it's just, a, hey, let's, let's see what happens. <laughs> let's just see what happens. We never know, you know. Uh, like, and, it, and that's the problem with Malaysia. They, they, there's not much. Anyone can lodge a police report. And if that report comes from someone higher up, they have the police must take action and they must get someone in, uh, record your statement, and what it, it's it can be a form. It has been used as a form of harassment as well. But you know, uh, that's what happens in uh, a lot of countries. You know, similar to what uh, I was listening to your episode with Viradas. You know that what's happening in India is uh, perhaps twice, three times uh, harsher than than in, than in Malaysia. So, you know, you got to live with it. You know. Yeah. So I I'm. Interested then when you travel internationally, because you, you've done comedy a whole bunch of different places now, and when you come from somewhere where, like you said, I mean, there is a question that people ask about, like you know, what's it like to be doing different comedy in different places? And I'm not asking you that question, but I am asking you about cultural context, like yes. you know, because it is different, like being here mm -hmm. like what we expect that you can say yes like or, you know that you are allowed to say that you're invited to say you mm -hmm. know mm -hmm. here at our mm -hmm. festival versus mm -hmm. yeah. like where you're but then you might be in like montreal canada or somewhere like yeah, you know yeah. what i mean like so how does the cultural context change you know what you're what you're doing and the sort of comedy you do does it change do you feel like it changes or are you feeling that it translates in in an even way I would like to think that it translates the same, you know, and uh, like the f last two specials that I've toured around the world, uh, I've I've managed to make it so that I don't have to ch completely change a premise or change a punchline to suit this audience or that. But I do, and it's, it's still a, how to say, it's still a learning curve for almost every comedian that I've met who, when they come to this festival, they do make the, the comment or the note that uh, sometimes audiences here in Melbourne can be a bit uh, too... Over, they are over-cautious about like... Uh, if, uh, especially when it comes to uh, racial and cultural stuff, when a comedian from outside of Australia, they come in and they land at Punchline, we can see Mel <laughs> Melburnians go yeah. like... I don't know. I mean, I know who right. said it, but... Can I? Can I? Is this a trap or is can this, I? Yeah. I don't know. Since, uh, since 2015, when I first came, you know, like even like that slight delay, it's everything, right? For some, even that slight half a second pause bef before they laugh and then the laugh has already started. It, 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 it makes a difference, I guess. But over the years, I think uh, the the audience here has kind of clued in, oh, okay, we've got a lot more international acts. We, we, they don't have that racial hang-up like we do here, I guess. So it's, it's, it's changing, but it's still there, you know? Do, do you find that? I mean, I, I'm curious to know from your own POV. Like, Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting to me because, like, I think when I first started doing this festival, like, we're in Melbourne at the moment, at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, and, uh, I, like, this is my 27th, year doing a show at the festival nice. and so but when the festival i first started doing it it was like you know what five or six years old so <laughs> it was quite small you know yeah. it was i mean it had already felt to me like the biggest thing in the entire world like yes, for yes, me yes. it was my mount everest like yes, i'm still yes. wrapped that i got to do one let alone that they let me come back and yes. do it every year yes, but yes, yes. um and i imagine i'll probably do it every year 
until I die, whenever that is, either next year or somewhere <laughs> after that. <laughs> I've got too much on this year to yeah, die, yeah, but yeah. next year maybe. Maybe, yeah. Uh, I'm always curious in checking in because often I find, I think that sometimes people always appear to us, like like celebrities sometimes always feel like they're the age that you first discovered them, that age forever, (laughs) like regardless of them getting old. And I think that sometimes when I come back to this festival, Mm. I don't feel like a 49-year-old man. Like I feel like I come back to this festival and I feel, I I mean, I was watching Lewis Garnham's show in the Regent Room um, during the festival and the Regent Room was at the Town Hall was the first room I ever played when I did a show. And I'm watching him and I'm sitting there in the audience and I'm having this moment of, remembering what it was like to, you know, do my first festival and how excited I was about, you know, playing it. And and then he's on stage complaining about being 27. And I'm like, man, when I was you, you were born. Yes. Like, And now you've had like a whole life and you're here on stage doing this. And that's yeah. all happened between when I first started and now. You're right. And the reason I say that is that I find it harder to, because I think the festival always feels like I'm, 22 years old still right right it's hard right. for me to realistically check in on what like what it is yes, or, yes, or, yes. Or, because also for me i don't know like people have just like been coming to see me forever do you yes, know like yes, yes. and particularly here like yes, you know yes. here in melbourne yes, like yes. you know pe- people have really been like i you know my career grew up at the same time as the festival grew up and like <laughs> you, you are know the festival. <laughs> I, well i just benefited from being around at the same time right. and it happened concurrently, not because of, you know, <laughs> I can't, I can't claim any credit for it. Yeah, correlation but, is not causation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but it does feel like I can never get enough distance away <laughs> to understand truly what it's like to right. do a show in Melbourne. I see. That's interesting. That's a very, very good point. You're, you're yeah. in it. So therefore you, it. you can't zoom out. I can't. To see what it's about. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. I find it hard to step away. It's basically what you were saying in a way about how you can see things about your wife is in the system. She's in medicine. Yes, like, you know, you become part of the system, the infrastructure. You're right. You're it's right. It's harder to see. Whereas right. you step outside and you can look inside and say, maybe this is not the right way. Right. This festival, I can't step outside. Wow. I don't know how to. Yes. Yes. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 yeah but I think, you know, uh, I'm hopeful that in the future, you know, as, as we, as it, it's a relationship, you know, the comedian and the audience, you know, as, as we, we as, as we grow, Perhaps, you know, in time, the audience will go, oh, this guy, yeah, he'll be fine. Yeah, we're fine. We, I've seen him uh, five times. It's always fine. And now, hopefully, the the laughter will be released uh, even quicker, you know, without... So, the, tell yeah. me about the first time you came here. Like, I mean, I, let's use a little lens of Melbourne Comedy Festival because I love talking about it, but also it'll just give us a nice little through line, you know. So, w- when did you first come to the, the Melbourne Comedy Festival? So, this was in 2015. Mm. And my first room was the region room too. Oh, is that right? In the town hall, yeah. <laughs> um, it was a bunch of us. Uh, they, uh, the festival did something which to this day, I think is one of their best moves. They curated a show called Comedy Zone Asia. And it's a bunch of comedians from Asia coming together and they put us up in, uh, uh, in a hotel and then they like program uh, 22 shows at the whole festival to give... To give Comedians who have never done the festival before outside the system to come in and enjoy the festival. So it's me, uh, 
two other Malaysians, a uh, 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 comedian from Hong Kong, from India, two from Hong Kong and one from India. So there's six of us. And we had a time of our lives because after one show, after our show, we would go out and watch two to three shows a night and then end up at the festival club, you know. And our brains would be fried from comedy, but man, in that one month, I saw all types of comedy. Stand-up comedy, sketch comedy, improv comedy, musical comedy, the weird, absurd comedy, a lot of weird stuff that I've never seen before. Uh, saw some nudity, didn't expect <laughs> that. that. Um, yeah, it was so great. Uh, my fr- the fe- fellow comic, Joanna Seo, who's who was the castmate, she says that, uh, she said that it's like a scholarship. It's like comedy scholarship where we go and l- they give us money and we can learn. We, we were in an ocean of comedy, you know, one night, you know, you know, like a night there's like 800 shows. We watch almost everything and it's, it really opened my mind to what a stand-up comedian can do, you know. Uh, because prior to that, we just like performing the Southeast Asia circuit. And ever since then, every single comic that has come from Southeast Asia to Melbourne has really said the same thing, which is, this is, I never knew we could have all this happening, you know, and we we, we keep coming back. So I think Comedy Zone Asia is one of the best things that uh, the festival has done. And uh, it's such an eye-opening experience. And also, it's such a good way to experience Melbourne. Melbourne is a city city with a lot of characters. So And every year that I come back, I feel like I've gotten to know the city better. And this year is the First time I feel like I'm not a tourist or uh, an outsider. I feel like this is my hometown, you know. So, uh, so it's been six years. So it's it's absolutely uh, great, you know. Um, and yeah. Okay, so I'm firstly fascinated by that first year. So because that idea of going to see all those shows, like to enthusiastically throw yourself into it, was that. Because there are some comedians, and, and, and this is not a judgment, by of the course. way, some comedians don't like to watch comedy at all. They find it influences what they do or the, you know, any of those sort of things. That's okay. Like, you know, there's no... I have a lot of jokes about golden showers. Yeah, there's no right or wrong way to do it. <laughs> I don't anymore, so it's fine. Please. <laughs> I'm doing my bit. Hey. You know? <laughs> Finally, the white saviour. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, no, but I, yeah. I think that um, it is an undervalued like part of the joy of the festival is the opportunity to go and see other people to enjoy other people's work. And did you come over knowing that, that like, is that, I guess, part of your intrinsic personality that if like, it strikes me that to be able to study medicine and be able to be good at that. And as you said, it was the top of the scientists sciences and you yeah. just like the idea of yeah. being able to do the thing that was the hardest yeah. to do. Yes. Then was that similar to the approach with comedy? Did you, attack it with that sort of vigor of I'm going to soak as much knowledge as I possibly can about comedy up uh, quickly? Yeah, I think that's a very uh, very insightful question. And I think I've never considered that before, but I think it has to be, a lot of it has to do with what you just said, which is the the idea that if you want to be good at something, it, you have to prepare and, and watch and, and learn, you know, and there's no better way uh, than smack dab in the middle of the festival where so many talented performers are performing and you're right because when I go to this kind of shows I'm mentally taking notes like, oh he's doing this he's doing it this way he's doing this to the crowd and so it's, it's a good learning process you're absolutely right and, and I think even even to this day even this festival I'm going out to watch shows trying to see how I can improve uh, my craft and uh, things like watching and I think I learned a lot also from watching non 
traditional stand-up comedians like a Gary Starr, Ruben K, who, yeah, they are not doing stand-up per se, but their showmanship, stagecraft, their silliness, their clowning, Ruben's singing, uh, uh, Gary's uh, uh, you know, silly prop work. It's, it's all part of what can be funny on stage. It's so wide now. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm going there to learn and try to be, um, like to soak in, like a sponge, you know, like I'm going to soak in as much knowledge as I can, you know. And you're right. I think that's part of uh, my personality. How much of you is outside in like mm-hmm. which is what we're just talking about there taking you know things from the outside and bringing them inside versus inside out like you know do, do, do you have to fill the bucket up first before you can sort of put something back out there is it like an even balance like where do you feel like you know because eventually you're you know you have something to say yes you're yes. the person who's standing up there on the stage you yeah, know yeah. you're the person who's putting together this show right like how much of that is a filtration of like, you know, I mean, of course we all are taking things from the world, but how much of it is a, how do I put this? How much is if it is one day I just woke up and there was a song in my head and I sat down at a piano and I played the song versus how much of it is I'm the most brilliant DJ in the world and I can take, <laughs> you know, all these various elements and samples and mix them together into something that's new and unique. Uh, right. What do you think? It is for you, right? So, so uh, it's it's either it's nature versus nurture. Yeah, yeah a little. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I think, um, I think uh, as I grow older, um, and life happens more, I guess the the inside bucket feels more. Um, it's more of that. It's more in inside going outwards, you know. And when you take in uh, like watching other shows, that's just that's technical knowledge, you know. But as life happens inside, for example, having a having a ch- child. Uh, she's three years old. Having that thing happen to my friend uh, Riza, and then internalizing it, processing the trauma—that's a lot of you know in- internal stuff uh, that builds up. And then, okay, how do I present this on stage in a, in a presentable way and not just shouting at people, you know, like, <laughs> and, and saying "fuck the system," you know? Uh, there's there's a lot of that, you know. I would say um, in the beginning when I first started, there's a lot of like just out observing and then. Retelling it, you know, repackaging some brilliant, <laughs> repackaging something yeah. that's mundane and woo, look at how amazing <laughs> my observational comedy is, you know, like look at the differences between three races. Woo, yeah. I'm a genius, you know. Uh, I remember Joe Rogan once said something to the effect of uh, levels of comedy. Like the first level is you tell the world what they see and that's and what's funny, and then the second is like um, you 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 let people know what you think is funny, which I think. It's you know in a way it's harder, but as we go uh, and again like it's a relationship where it's the odd your fan base and you, they both are growing. So if you grow, if you as they move on with their lives and you keep talking about the same shit, you're gonna lose fans. So you have to your art has to mature along with your life. So I think that it's more life happens having a child. I mean, having uh, to move out of, uh, out of your country to another, trying to settle into another country, all that is is material. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that, the, the evolution of it. Yes. And I think that, that that seems smart to me. Sometimes 
you'll get somebody who's mad because you're not what you were 20 years ago. You know, like I used, to, I used to love, you know, this yeah. version of you and you're like, yeah, but if I was still that version of me, that would be real sad. Now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think yeah. you might love that, but I don't think a lot of other, but a lot of other people would be like, we need to step in here. <laughs> this is no good. <laughs> do, do you get a lot of fans who are like that? Uh, no, I don't. I think, like in general, in mostly I most of my slights are all imagined. Jason is oh, the really? truth. Oh, so, so like, there's no slights against you. You're, you're... Uh, oh no, there may well be. <laughs> I just don't. Right. Like I am. I, I don't delve into the real world of what people think about me that often because yeah. my imagined oh. world of the feedback that I'm getting. It's already quite bad. <laughs> That's harsh enough. <laughs> I love when people say like things like, oh, you know, I like I hate you. And I was like, not as much as I hate me. I can tell you all the good reasons to hate me. I know where all the bodies are buried, mate. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you hate me? That's true. You That's know true. nothing, mate. That's true. Come on. And I, <laughs> like online trolls and haters, they, they it's funny. And maybe this is just for stand-up comedians, but they think that what they're doing is, like, oh, it's a harsh burn, but they don't know that the harshest burn is just fucking silence. Silence. And a live show, that, that, that cannot get any worse than that. Mate, right? that's yeah. a reaction. <laughs> yeah. I'll take a reaction over indifference any day. There's some energy there, yeah, at least, just right? something. Yeah, right? As opposed to like, I can work with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. fuck you. Oh, yeah, I know yeah, I can yeah, work with go, fuck you. Go. That's right. We can get this going. <laughs> When someone hates you, at least they're paying attention. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we can build on this. Yes. This is fine. See, this is improv. This is a dynamic. This is like, that's fine. This, this does not mean like I welcome trolls, please. No, no. <laughs> but, yeah, but definitely that idea of... Um, well, talk to me about feedback then. So ah, okay. how do you feel about it? Because you're much... so. I'm very, I'm off all social media now, but this is only within the last year and I am nearly 50 years old. So I'm not pretending that I am some sort of Zen pioneer who like hasn't ever been motivated by other people's feedback or any of those things. This is just a new thing, but I love it. Live in a bubble now. Don't read, don't read reviews. Don't read anything online. Don't exist in that world. Very happy with it. Comes with its challenges, honestly. And I think you'll understand this, which is, that the bonus is that you don't receive any negative feedback, but the other <laughs> challenge is you don't receive any feedback. And so you have to decide right. whether you like your own stuff or not. Yes. And it's amazing That's... to me that even this far into my career, I was like, oh, there was a part of me that still looked for reassurance, like for, that that bit was working or that this show was good or that, that, you know, whatever it was. And now I'm in a world where I am the only person who can make that, yeah, it is good, but it is also, it that does is, come with its challenges. Right. So that's my context of where I am at the moment. I've been in different places at different times in my life where I've cared a lot or not much mm-hmm. or pretended not to care or only read good reviews or like, you know, I've gone through all the stages of how important feedback was and how much it had mm-hmm. value to me. So where are you at in what I believe is a, Thing that can wildly swing from year to year on how people care one way or the other about yes, of course. like external validation. Where are you in that at the moment? I think right now, uh, external validation uh, is uh, important, especially when I'm trying to break new markets, uh, trying to expand the career beyond the shores of Malaysia. You know, uh, and definitely, you know, it's it's all market research. You go, okay, what do they like? Or I'll give them more of this so that I can break into other uh, other markets. But that's also um, on social media 
you know, and it's, social media is not exactly real, you know, and because you are presenting on social media the very best version of yourself, you know, curated videos and all that. Um, and when it comes to uh, this kind of feedback, uh, I think I'm trying my best to, like, which is why I'm so attracted to what you do, which is like, I'm the only one, right? I'm trying my best to know my material well enough to go to know that okay, I'm this will work, you know, even in all different different markets, and I don't need necessarily a reviewer or someone to post. Oh, this guy, you know, and it's always inaccurate as far as I'm concerned when I'm performing. Um, and the other type of feedback I really like is feedback from fellow comics. They, when they watch my show and they give me either technical notes or notes on how to improve. Uh, it may or may not be common among other comics, but in Malaysia, when we were touring, I was part of a four-man show, uh, uh, which is, uh, I'm the opener and then there are three other acts after me. And we all come from similar backgrounds. And when we toured, we did 10 years. A very, an unspoken rule was, feedback is welcome at any time. Before the show, after the show, at breakfast, at dinner, whatever. Because feedback can only improve you. So I'm very receptive of feedback from fellow comics. I am 0% receptive of feedback from uh, non-comedians because I cannot be led by the audience. I want to lead the audience. So no, no don't tell me, no, let me, let me bring you and then you, whether or not you laugh, that's fine. But don't tell me what you want to hear or what you want to see happen. L let me bring you, you know. And nowadays, negative feedback is always, to me, hilarious because, like I said, I've presented a clip which, is, which I know worked. I know hundreds of people laughed. And I put the clip out and you can see, yeah, everyone, ha, 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 ha. One guy, this is not funny. No, no you're wrong, bro. It's everyone, yeah. everyone else is laughing. If it's you funny. Look, like you can tell. Look, look at it. Look at the people. <laughs> you're in the thread, you know. But this is, I mean, look, I mean, it's an ex it's. For whatever reason, and I'm interested in your perspective on this, to be honest, which is because I'm always interested in this question, is why do people, like, if I don't like your style of music that you're into, like, I think generally, unless you're a teenager, like, that is not something that people get particularly angry about. Yes. But if you don't like somebody's, like, you yeah. know, yeah. sense of humor, it makes people so angry. <laughs> like, that's the thing that I find very weird. Like, we get, like, I mean... Jerry Seinfeld, you know, who probably, or, you know, whoever, like, is the equivalent, Dave Chappelle or whatever, the whoever the most popular comedian on the planet is, Russell Peters. I don't know who it might be. Oh, but you, you don't know because you're off social media. Yeah, who is it at the moment? It's Will, it's Will Anderson. <laughs> oh, my you God, don't, you don't it's know. great. <laughs> Maybe. Wouldn't yeah. it be great if me going away created some demand? Where's Will? <laughs> I'm yeah, fine a, with that. Yeah, you were saying, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so whoever it is, yes. if you walked into any cafe, 10 people there, and you said... Hey, how, how do you feel about Jerry Seinfeld? And I reckon there'd be one or two people who'd be like, oh, he's a great comedian. There'd be like three, four, five people who are like, yeah, I really like this TV show, but yes. I don't like his stand-up or yeah. like whatever. Or like, I like the show about the cast. Yes, yes, That's yes. what I like. Yes, yes. There'd be like three or four people who'd be like, who's Jerry Seinfeld yes, again? And yes. there'd be like one or two who are like, I hate Jerry Seinfeld. Yes, 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 and yes. that's Jerry Seinfeld. Yes, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. But like, why? <laughs> why are those ang people angry about it? Like, I don't angry. understand that. Like, angry. Yeah. Ron, uh, Ronnie Chang uh, has this brilliant bit <laughs> about... <laughs> about how everything is distributed on a normal curve, right? It's a, bell, it's a bell curve where whatever you do, 
there'll be 80% who'll be okay with it. Yeah. 10% who go, you're a fucking genius. And there'll be what? 10% who go, you're a fucking idiot. Right? Everything you do. And he says how liberating and scary that is. That whatever you do, there's that bell curve. There'll be 80%. So technically, if you if you give birth to a new baby, there'll be 10% go, what the fuck is this shit? Yeah. And that, that is so true. You know? And what I find interesting nowadays is uh, sometimes on, on, on this only happens on Twitter the most toxic piece of shit uh, that I'm still uh, addicted to <laughs> I don't know how I get to your level Will but uh, <laughs> it was basically what you just said yeah. which is <laughs> yeah. everyone there keeps referring to the place as being a horrible place and I was like you know what and I'm there to tell people that it's a horrible place yeah <laughs> maybe I should maybe I should just not visit this horrible place because <laughs> yeah. everybody else knows it's horrible yeah, 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 but yeah, it's yeah, still yeah. there so I, I've done something which you'll be I, I hope you'll be proud of me but so in tweet, on Twitter this has been happening for a while where uh, for Malaysia at least Twitter is the best place to get uh, political news and comment about political uh, stuff because it happens very quickly in Malaysia. Things change very quickly. So, and you can, if, if I put up a political, a politically charged tweet, uh, say, oh, I don't like this guy because of blah, blah, blah. And then someone may disagree with it, which is fine, but there'll be a few people who go, who quote the tweet and, and go like, ah, Jason's not funny. You know, his, his comedy specials suck. You know, his, his jokes are horrendous. I'm like, what does this have to do with my comedy? I'm not making a joke here. I'm, I'm right. saying this guy is shit. Yeah. It's like, and I don't think it will happen to other non, to other, to other non-comedians. Like, right. if let's say Usain Bolt yeah. says something like, hey, you know, Hitler was kind of okay. No one's going to go, you know what, Usain Bolt don't want to run. No, he's, he's slow. It, it, no, he's not. He like yeah. he's objective. He's still real fast. Still real fast. I mean, got some dodgy opinions about Adolf Hitler, though. It turns but, out. Yeah, but he's he he's doesn't. Still fast. By the way, comedic he, example. Exactly. Let's not get sued by Usain exactly. Bolt. That would be <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, no, wouldn't be horrible joking. if the podcast comes back and it gets taken down because you've defamed Usain Bolt <laughs> and said that he's slightly sympathetic to Adolf Hitler. <laughs> That's the day you have to come back on social media to apologize. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry, everybody. <laughs> um, so, since then, since then, this is what I do on Twitter. Whenever someone says something to me which I wouldn't tolerate in real life, yeah. I just block them. Yeah. Immediate block. So, it's so good for, for my mental health now because if I, if, if I'm on Twitter to have a good time, so if someone's ruining my good time, I just block him. But yeah, so that's it. You're allowed to set your own parameters. You've yeah. got to, like, yeah. you've got to, it's good therapy talk, but it's basically about setting boundaries. Yes. Because we think that we need to, and I say this, like, I chose to step away, but I'm not an advocate for everybody. And also, I have the luxury to ghost social media in that, you know, my management company still runs, you the know, ads. like a profile and a yes, thing and whatever. Yes, yes. So, like, there are, some of those, you know, clips get posted and those sort of things. That happens anyway. Yeah. I'm just not there. You yes, know, there's yes, an avatar nice. of me that exists that's in that great. world, but it's not me. Right. The the thing that you immediately realize is that they, you can set your own boundaries. It, yes. Like, you know, if you want to be in that world, it doesn't have to come with, like you said, the trolling. Yeah, you can exactly. just say, you know what? I'm just going to read the good reviews. I'm just going to look at the nice comments. I'm going to block anyone who's being yeah. mean. 
And, you know, and your philosophy of also saying that, like, if somebody is, like, you know, a plumber, they're just like, like you're allowed to have a political opinion. Yeah. You still get a vote. Yeah. Like, uh, it doesn't matter if you're a shit plumber or a good plumber, yeah. you still get to exactly, vote. Exactly, exactly. And, and it's ironic because, like, now it feels like the the very idea of getting on social media for most comedians is to become famous enough yeah. to not have to be on social, on social media. media. Yeah, right? Like, what yeah. you, everyone wants to be, like, you now, there's, there's disengaged because so much... Life is because life is so much richer when it's not always on the screen, you know. Like you must be, you must be enjoying it. Totally. Uh, I mean, I the worst thing about it is becoming one of those people who wants to tell people about it all the time because it has changed my brain in such back in such ways that I find rewarding. Like, wow! I've read more books this year than I think I've probably read in the last ten years combined. How how many books is there? I mean, I've probably read like fifty or sixty books already this year. <laughs> a lot like yeah it'd be funny if you just said two like yeah <laughs> Wait, let's real not... big books and like I'm all my, I'm two I'm halfway through Twilight don't tell me how it ends but I've read the first two <laughs> 50 or 60 that's, that's, that's a lot that's a lot yeah. that's like a book a week a re- yeah wow uh, uh, well no so uh, like this year like I uh, know so this is this year so in four months I'm reading like three oh, books three, three, three or four books a week you must be slamming through them like well, really the fast. thing is yeah, that when your time. brain goes back to, wow, like you're thinking of books in the way that I've thought about books for the last 10 years, which is that it takes ages to read a book. It doesn't. Wow. When you retrain your brain to not be thinking in 15 minute, 15 second bursts all the oh time, God, you're right. it turns out that like right. you sit down for two, three hours, right. which by the way, you save every day by not scrolling through oh your social God, media. Right, so right. it is a, like, it's an Indiana Jones style. You just take the three hours oh. you are wasting reading like you were already reading three hours a day. You were shit, just yeah. reading shit, oh my random. God, that's right. Like I was saying to somebody, the first book I read, and I think this was a good um, start, a good start. Like yeah. it was a good in between. Was yeah. Bob Odenkirk, the uh, actor and comedian's book, comedy, comedy, comedy drama, which I highly recommend. One of the best celebrity comedy memoirs that I've ever read. Because I mean, he was a great comedy writer, Mister Show, is, and all yeah. those sort of things. And he also has a great story to tell. So it's that great combination of a great story told by a great comedy writer. So it's just, I said to, uh, I was telling people afterwards, I was like, it's like 70,000 words of tweets in a row (laughs) that all tell a story. You know, like you do this thing of scrolling Twitter for that one gem that you might find per day or that one little thing. And I would sit down in front of this book and there would be one after another after another that are telling this broader story and I'm like have you heard of these things called books guys they're amazing amazing yeah but what I realized was it's not I was already doing the reading yeah like I'm already spending three hours a day on like reading but now I'm spending three hours a day reading just this one thing a book a well-written book by someone with who is not toxic and is an asshole you know this is amazing it's amazing yeah um when you say that I felt a small chill because that's what that's true because I I also like to read and um I I try to read as much as I can uh, and I like reading murder mysteries and I, what you say is true like I can't now read for more than 1 hour at a sitting I have to read it every 15 minutes every at most 30 minutes and I feel like I'm almost my brain gets tired but it's true what you say you don't have to be tired if you train your brain you can easily go through a book that that's a 3 hour read but it's but I have to stretch it across two weeks, but you can do it in one day. That's amazing. Yeah, because wow. that's the other thing about reading, 
uh, like that people forget, particularly reading fiction, because I had become one of those people who I would read, but I would read, you know, the, the book of somebody who would come on the podcast, or I would read an autobiography, or I'd read a book about the world, you uh -huh. know, so about politics or climate or whatever you know, issue it was that I was wanting to learn about. But I wasn't reading fiction. Apparently, a lot of men as they got older don't read fiction anymore. That's right. one of the big reading patterns, and. Okay. So I thought that one of the things I wanted to do was like, you know, throw myself back into, you know, reading fiction. And the thing that I'd forgotten about fiction is that if you can read it for an increasing period of time, you also read faster because ah. of course you get caught up in the story and the world and the flow and, yeah. and the flow, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So like the first 10 or 20 pages, you're reading at a different pace and whatever than you are like, so, so the, even, so even the idea of reading for like an hour or two hours, like in a row, like you're reading four hours worth of stuff because it's the idea that you are able to actually concentrate on the reading and be in the world. Because even before, if I attempted to do that, when my brain was trained to that, like the first few weeks of me not doing it, the amount of times that I touched my phone, yes, yes. even though none of those apps are on my phone, I couldn't <laughs> log into it, but you just instinctively are so used to when you're doing something else, touching the phone, yeah, yeah, touching yeah, the yeah. phone, touching the phone. And then as it's gone on, I've found that I can now, you know, avoid doing that instinctively. But no, that, that's true because you have not touched your phone since until <laughs> that, that you just did it to yeah. demonstrate. That's amazing. That's, and how long have you been off social it's media? It's been and about eight months now, I think. Wow. Yeah, so eight or nine months probably. That's, re that's really great. It's, yeah. it's, it's so healthy. It's so healthy to keep reading, you know, because it keeps your brain uh, wide and it prevents a lot of, you know, all these uh, old, old age diseases and it keeps you, it keeps your brain sharp, you know. Especially for comedian, you want to do this for a long time. Keeps your brain really wired and sharp. It's amazing. Okay, it's amazing. so talk to me about comedy careers then. Like you right. know, you, you, so is this something that like you know, you you're someone who comes over with the comedy zone Asia. Mm -hmm. You clearly make a decision that you think I'm going to come back. Yep. You talked about you know the idea that it's your sixth festival now. You talked about this idea that um, you know obviously you've had Netflix specials. Like you are opening up you know, like different audiences markets, yeah. in different countries around the world now. Mm -hmm. Like, so you're thinking about it very much as this is my career. Yes. This is my life. This is what I'm going to do. Is it like a, do you feel like you found something that you would like to pursue for the, you know, for the rest of your life? Is that, is yeah. that what comedy is to you? I think so. I think, I think uh, the way I see it, I'll never uh, ever stop being a stand-up comedian. Uh, it, it, it's my favorite thing to do. Um, especially when you come to these kind of festivals and you do it every day and you realize that, wow, I love doing it every day, you know, from Tuesday to Sunday. Uh, and after this, I'll be touring uh, the rest of Australia and it's uh, almost a show every day, Tuesday onwards. And the thing is, last year was the year I, I made a decision to go like, you know what? I want to tour as much as possible. Number one, while I still can. And number two, and this is from a very pragmatic point of view, because we are, it feels like we're entering an age where we're entering a golden age for stand-up comedy where a lot of audiences are coming out to support a variety of stand-up comedians, be it in America, Australia, obviously, where even though you're not necessarily the, the mainstream, uh, the, 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 the type of mainstream comedian that everyone wants to follow, like, for example, like Russell, the Russell Peters, whatever, you're very different, but people, there's a market for comedians who are not, like those mainstream idols, and last year I was I I happened to open up op, uh, be uh, open for Ronnie 
uh, in America a, f- a few times and I've been following his career closely. And then there's n- another comedian, Nigel Ng, who uh, p- uh, became really famous for his Uncle Roger uh, routine uh, on, on YouTube. <coughs> and we talked about how there are non-traditional ways to make it now in comedy. So he became big on YouTube, was already a comedian. So now he took he did this uh, the Haya World Tour, Uncle Roger World Tour, smashing it, killing it. <coughs> and so observing these comedians, uh, and I realized that touring can make a big part of uh, uh, your income, you know. And I, I know sometimes it's taboo to talk about money, but, you know, it's a very pragmatic thing. You know, it's, it's show business, you know. And I find that if you can... Uh, make it work for yourself doing live tours can be a very lucrative and also uh, really fulfilling career you know touring you know like for example like Ursula Carlson selling 6,000 tickets at in, in the stadium in Brisbane it's amazing so I think that's my goal to be able to tour at a level where I can command uh, a big enough audience to make it worth my time away from my uh, family and I think long long term is something that I want to do for another 20 years 30 years as long as I can as, as I can so touring seems to be now for me my main goal why so why touring so like this is uh, and uh, I mean it's what it's what I've always done so I mean I have my theories on why like or but why for you why this form of comedy like in a world where you know there are you know opportunities to make any sort of comedy now like you know like like you said online filmed any of these sort of you know repackaging various formats all these sort of things what is it about the appeal of you know the the live performance but not just the live performance the fact that you're somebody who's gone into that world of i'm going to create like here's my one hour show i'll take Mm. it to festivals i'll take it on the road i'll you know like ursula is a good example like she's not just a brilliant stand-up comedian but she's somebody who can operate within the festival system and without it yes like equally yes which i guess is that that's that dream right where you can you know but be both a festival comedian but also like a sort of more broadly commercial comedian as well so what is it about that i think uh, there, there is that um, that narcissistic part of me that goes like, you know, I want to be... Stand-up comedy is very, in a way, quite narcissistic, a, a very narcissistic form of art where you go on stage and everyone looks at you and you alone, you know? I kind of like that that feeling. I have to be honest. <laughs> I have to be honest, right? Stand-up comedians must be honest. You know? um, but I think just it's, it's a, 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 also like when you watch other comedians who you like for example like my idols are Ronnie Nigel um, Phil Wang from from America from, from the UK uh, when I see them tour around the world and it makes me want to be like them too you know like to to, to live to walk in the footsteps of people who have gone further than me uh, that's one and also that is is when I because we started in a very small scene in Malaysia you know and I always wondered can a boy from Malaysia go overseas and make people laugh far far away from home you know um, that's that. That's that appeal too. And I think the third one is like I have a bit of a wanderlust uh, in me. I, I I loved traveling since I was a, a, a medical student, uh, been all around Europe. So I think that's another thing that I, I want to. If you if I can travel far away from home, and still make people laugh, that is that to me that's something amazing. That is amazing to be able to be so far away to people who are not like me at all, but we can find common ground in laughing at jokes 
So I think that's quite appealing to me too. Tell me about, uh, so you mentioned your wife, you've got a baby. Well, yeah. I, like I'm not a baby anymore, a toddler. Three years old, yeah. Yeah. So um, I don't know if that's officially a toddler. Does that, like, is, I, I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, as a person <laughs> without kids. I, this oh, is no not... wonder you can have so much time reading. Yeah. Oh, yes. Look, I mean, don't <laughs> get me wrong. I have some natural advantages. <laughs> I don't have any children. Some, so. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, I have, you know, I have three podcasts though, so it's like having kids. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's exactly the same, Will. It's exactly the same. Exactly the same. Uh, is your podcast going to vomit? <laughs> three podcasts. So, um, what I would say is this, that mm. I um, am interested in, so obviously y- y- your partner, wife, 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 partner, yeah, your wife, wife, yeah. Um, so your wife, uh, she, you know, is a doctor. Mm-hmm. You, did you come through together? Is that how you knew each other? Yeah, like, we met in medical school. Yeah. 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 So was she encouraging of the fact that you, you were going to take a different path? Was that, cause obviously, you know, you've come up in this thing together. This yes, is yes. the thing that you have in common. This is the thing that perhaps you bond over, or at least yeah. in the process of yes. like, so then when you decide to split away, like. Where is she in that? Like, oh. is she excited about this? Is she like in like someone who pushes you in that direction, or is she someone who worries about you? Got like, how did that all work? So she was very uh, encouraging um, of me uh, leaving the job and pursuing comedy full time because she could see that I was I wasn't happy in in being a doctor, uh, and thanks to her, uh, um, I I left the job um, and did comedy full time because if I was in it longer I would have been even even unhappier even more unhappy and it, it's 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 something that eats well, that would eat me alive if I never tried to do stand up I always I always look back and go if I never did that gig how would my life be because really it's really fr- it sounds really dramatic but it's so true if I had not done that gig I may not have even tried to do stand up comedy and that gig really turned my life 180 degrees so uh, she was very encouraging uh, because she knew that I wasn't happy and and then she could see that I'm happier outside the work and uh, and the weird thing about this whole transition is some of the most supportive friends are the ones who are doctors because they know how hard it is and they go Jason try your best and don't come back. And they mean it like, I don't know if they mean it in a, like don't come back because this job sucks or don't come in because you're going to kill people. Yeah. You know, but yeah, just, just go. And it, it, it's, 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 it's changed my life. It's, it's, it's a big, big, big uh, change. And she's, she's very supportive. She, and she is still a doctor. So she is an anesthetist now. Um, it's weird because looking at her grind, uh, it makes me number one like oh she's so amazing but also I feel grateful that I'm no longer there you know it's a it's a it's a weird feeling to have uh, but I I don't think I'll ever go back to medicine that's a that's usually the most common follow up question would you have no I'll never go back and I don't think I should because I don't think I'm a I was a good doctor when I was a doctor because I wasn't happy I wasn't really caring about uh, patients I was too angry at the system so you know have being out of it, I think was good for both. <laughs> I mean, patients. look, I always feel like it's it's good for comedy when we've robbed the world of someone who'd be much more useful in another <laughs> profession. 
<laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I feel uh, like we've claimed another one. This yeah. is good. It's what the world needs. More comedians. One more comedian. <laughs> more dick jokes. <laughs> but you know, I, I think, uh, so I did a joke about this in my last show where uh, when the pandemic hit, you know, uh, uh, um, people asked me like, aren't you going to go back? I said, no. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna keep maintaining. This is the worst time the to go worst back. Time, yeah, I'm going to stay here and uh, you can all go, go, go to the front lines. Um, but I tried my best to use my platform and uh, my background to educate people about the vaccines and stuff. Uh, there was a lot of vaccine hesitancy. So I tried my best to, to sort of like uh, calm people down and go relax. You know, if you follow some procedures and, and, and think about it rationally, it, it'll be fine. So I think there was a lot of utility for someone who is able to speak publicly and also make uh, information accessible with uh, some credibility. So I think during those two years, uh, I felt Useful, even though I wasn't in the hospital. Yeah. So, was there? What was the level of sort of you know vaccine hesitancy and sort of COVID awareness and all those sort of things in Malaysia in particular? Like, I'm yeah. interested. There was some uh, vaccine hesitancy, but I think you know the the one silver lining of being in um, in Malaysia, where again, you know, the government can be very uh, authoritative, you know, and and because of that, most of the pop populace. Although they may disagree with something, they we are by nature very obedient. Right. Uh, you know. Uh, yeah, it's handy in those times. It's handy in those times. <laughs> when you yeah. need to, in times when you need to tell people what to do, it's yes. good to have a government yeah. that's good at telling people what to do. Yes. It's a lot of the other time it's overkill. Yes, yes, and yes. We yes, need yes, to look yes. Into it's only that. when this particular time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm not endorsing it in general. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've heard Usain Bolt has some weird <laughs> opinions about Adolf Hitler, but. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. So there was, there yeah. was, there, there, there was, okay. uh, you know, the usual uh, because you know we read tweets from you know America and and and, and it's crazy over there. So yeah, there was some uh, vaccine hesitancy, but by and large, I think Malaysians uh, and may I say Asians in general, uh, we are very pragmatic uh, lot. So. Like if you say, yeah, we can't go out, uh, we, we should stay indoors and not spread the germs to our children. And, you know, if you want to start working again, we have to protect ourselves and protect everyone else. We can, yeah, that makes, if that makes sense to us, you know, and uh, yeah, we'll be fine. You know, so it, it, by and large, that's what happens uh, in Malaysia. There was some, but we got through it. Yeah. Uh, so I, obviously, you know, th there's some sort of time limit on this and I've got a whole bunch of other questions. Some of them are, like I, I could actually just talk to you about all this stuff for ages, but yes. I have some standard questions that please. are kind of part of the podcast in please. general. So I'd please. like to ask you those as well. If you okay, please. So the big one starts with this. What do you reckon happens when we die? So I'm fascinated by what you're going to say to this. Do you have any, like, I mean, cause you obviously you've done medicine. You're a man of science. Right. Uh, you're a comedian, right. like, you know, who often, it like has a cynical look at the world, but of you know, there's a cultural context. I'm anyway. I'm fascinated to hear what your answer to this question is. What do you think happens when we? I'm, die? I'm, I'm so fascinated that I get to I get asked this question. You know, do we have the time? But no. Uh, <laughs> um, so I am first of all. I, I guess it's uh, easy to say that uh, by nature I am uh, uh, an atheist. I I don't believe in God or I don't I don't practice any religion. And I think it's the reason why I've arrived at this conclusion is because, you know, culturally, yes, in, you're, you're right. In an Asian culture, there's always this belief in uh, the supernatural ghosts, 
apart from religion, right? There's a lot of like beliefs in ghosts. So like when I worked as a doctor in a busy, big hospital where people die every day, I think, hmm, I'm, I will be seeing some ghosts today or at least two years. Mm. No, I didn't see a <laughs> single ghost. As I grew older and I seen so much suffering happen, especially when it happens to uh, children who are blameless and sinless, I, I get, I, I feel that if there is a God, uh, this God is not really... Yeah, fuck not, you. Not, fuck you. Not really... <laughs> this not, is not a not nice all, God. He's, this is... he's not all-powerful nor no. all-caring. That's yeah. my view. Yeah, um, based on the, that evidence. Based, based on, on that, that evidence. Exactly. And, and, and what Usain Bolt tweeted yes. to me. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you heard about this God guy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work. Um, so, so, so that. So as to what happens uh, after, when we die, uh, you know, there's that scientific view of how like the energy that is contained in our, in our body will transform into other forms of energy and in that way we will, the, the energy continues. There's no loss of energy in the whole sum of the energy in the universe. It just transforms to another form. Right? Uh, so that's one. Uh, that's what happens when we die. But as to what we, <laughs> our soul or the afterlife, the best answer I can give which is most atheists would give which is we don't know. We don't know what happens after we die. Right? And I think that's a very if I can say, an empowering answer because we admit that we don't know. So whatever happens, happens. We don't know. A lot of the problems in the, in the world today is caused by people who, who claim they know. And that's, the, and that's why we have a lot of uh, problems because people think they know and they are fighting over other people's claim that they know what happens after. So that's the problem. So, if we are an evolutionary accident in the corner of the universe, hey. which is my, you know... My best suspicion, if yes. I was going to like, you know, lock in, if I was required to lock in an answer that was, I don't know, yes. that would be my closest next answer. Yep. Then why, why is it this, do you think? Like, and what I mean by that is the broader, why music, why art, why comedy, why this drive to build things and create things and, and interact with each other in the way that we are? What gives, if you're a person who doesn't ascribe the meaning of your life to a higher power, mm. then... What is the meaning of our lives? Or at least I, on a personal, I don't yes. expect you to answer for all of us, but like on a personal level, when you, <coughs> you must think about, you know, what gives your life purpose or meaning of these sort of things and where that comes from. Where do you feel like it yeah. comes from? I think it's quite close to what you said just now, a, 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 an evolutionary accident, right? And I think <clears throat> because of how big, you know, how big the observable universe is, which is unfathomable, it's unthinkable for human minds to even con conceptualize how big the universe is. Like, can you imagine how big the Earth is and how small the Earth is compared to the Sun and how small the Sun is compared to the biggest star and how small the biggest star is compared to the... It's, it's, it, it's insane. It's insane. It's like a speck of dust on this planet. It's, it's so big. That, uh, this is my theory. I can't help but think that what happens on Earth and the life forms that we are that walk around Earth, it's all a massive, gigantic uh, coincidence. It's all pure fucking luck. It's we're so lucky. But then again, because the universe is so big, it is not unconceivable that something this lucky can happen, right? It's like striking a uh, the lottery. If you buy, yeah. it's it's like the it's like your chances of lottery or exactly. the gambling. 
like very small. Very, very, <laughs> very small. Very tiny. Right, very tiny, right? But, but there is a chance. There is a chance. Yes. That's right. There is a chance. And yes. because the world is so big, there's so many mm. planets. It's like buying a lottery ticket, buying a million lottery tickets. Yeah. It's, it's, you're gonna, you're bound to hit something. So because there's, the, the, the chances are so wide, of course, there is that, it's, there is that possibility that something as miraculous, unbelievable, uh, coincidental as life on earth can happen. And that's why uh, I find that by, by thinking that this is all luck, then you appreciate life more because you're so, you're, you are so lucky to be alive. You know, like uh, Richard Dawkins once said that the number of people who are not born uh, far outnumber the people who are born. The, the permutations of people who could have been, you know, but are not because you are here. It's so, it's so vast. So I think that there's, to me, that's, it's, it's, it, I appreciate life in that way. Every, every day is, it's, 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 I'm so lucky that I get to wake up, you know. And there's, have you heard of this mathematical thing where if, let's say, the odds of you being here it's one in a trillion where it's almost zero. You, you, you are a yeah. mathematical miracle. Have you read this? Yes. Because, I, because if, if I'm familiar for, with what you're talking about, yeah, which is, for, yes. For Based your, on all the things that had to happen for you to be here, yeah. is, it's so slight. So small. Yeah. yeah your ancestors must have, must, must, yeah. They, they had to have fucked. Met and survived. Met and, and survived. Blah, 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 and survived and blah, blah, wars. Blah, blah, and, yeah. and you're, and you're yeah. here. It's, it's, in, it's insane. Yeah. So, and you're so, spending all your day on Twitter. That's what I'm saying, guys. Exactly. <laughs> but, just, quote, just quote tweeting Usain Bolt. Uh, Fuck so, you. So, okay. So let me ask you this then. Uh, this is a question that I did not come up with myself. Uh, I mean, uh, I have like not stolen. I've Because I every time that I've done this question, I have absolutely attributed it, which is what I'm absolutely about to do now. Uh, Kurt Brunoller asked this question to Peter Holmes on his podcast, but I like this question, so I'm going to ask it to you. Um, which is, would you rather know uh, how you are going to die or when you are going to die? Oh, I had to choose one. Yeah. How or when? And I guess then why? So again, I guess the answer is to choose the one which is least scary, right? So I rather know, hmm, because sometimes the how dictates the when <laughs> <laughs> that's true you know <laughs> yeah, I if the know. how is yeah. you die in a car crash right it's gonna be sooner <laughs> rather than later <laughs> but if the, <laughs> if the how is yeah. a stroke it's gonna be later <laughs> rather than sooner oh, yeah. or a spacecraft accident or something <laughs> you're like okay oh great oh well that's good it's that's that's optimistic <laughs> I feel like I can, you know, do some of my own timeline extrapolation based on the fact that I've died in a spacecraft crash, I guess. <laughs> Jason, you died on the, the 400th uh, trip to Mars. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So not this year then. You can safely say not this year. <laughs> that is so good. I'd never thought of that, That's that so you could good. work yeah. out. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm right. so brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay, let me think. Let me think. So it's how... Or when? How, how or when? Yeah. Yeah. So the question is, I rather not know. I think I rather not know the when. So I would choose to know the how. Okay. And the why is because okay, and this is just because <laughs> it's a very boring answer. <laughs> it's a very boring answer. Okay. 
the why is because from my from my background, you can kind of know. Sadly, how most people will die, you know how how most people will die, which is just a few, which is heart disease or a car crash, and that's it. Yep. That's this is mostly for men. Yeah. It's just these two. Yeah. So if I know, like for example, if someone's adjacent, you will die of a heart attack. Yeah, I kind of. Mm. Or a uh, 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 kind of suspected that'd be the case anyway. Yeah, no. Or, or, Was or, I at the wheel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, the, and that's it. And that's yeah. it. So it's yeah. less scary to know how, mm. because the ways of us dying is kind of very. It's a it's a small group of choices. Of how we're gonna die. Yeah. Okay. So, what if it was like something that wasn't one of those? So, like, if they like you, I've I've chosen, I've decided, I want to know how I'm gonna die. Okay. Okay. And, so you decided you want to know how. Yeah. So, and then they say, well, it's not heart attack, it's not car accident, it's actually know, something like, specific. Yeah, bear attack or whatever, <laughs> like something <laughs> that you'd have to be in a certain set of circumstances for it to occur. Do you think that you would? let that determine the choices you then made in your life? Would you try to then cheat that? Would you try to like avoid places where there might be bears, for example, like, you know, to. Uh, yeah. In that case, then it, 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 it almost becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right. right? Because you, in your, you know, it's the whole yeah. classic storytelling trope in your quest to avoid the bear, yeah. you will eventually meet the fucking yeah, bear. Exactly. <laughs> if you had not known and not tried to avoid the bear, yeah. you would not have met the bear. So it's, 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 a, it's a real mind fuck. It's a brilliant uh, synopsis of my next film, <laughs> which I'll be writing. It's called Free Will. Hey, free. Um, yeah. So I, I honestly I wouldn't know. Yeah. You know. So in that case, if it's if the if the answer I could give you is something quite specific, yeah, then you would choose the when. Yeah. Interesting. Right. Okay. okay so do you me... know? Do you have like a breakdown of? What people most? Uh, oh well, it's most only, people, I've, I, this is literally since I brought the podcast back. So it's only been like three or four episodes since wow. I've been asking the people. Now you're the first person who said how, out yeah. of the ones that I've done. Right. Most yeah. people are a when because it, I think if we know when, it yeah. helps us determine how we spend the time in between now and when. I think is that I think prev like the prevailing certainly from my point of view, but certainly in the people I've shared this. With it, like re recently, it has been that idea of that the when determines how we live now, oh, which so then gets to the conundrum of, and I get that because, like, if, if, just to put it in basic financials, for example, yeah. right? Like, you would make different choices around your work and where you toured and how you toured if you knew you were dying in five years versus 50 years. Because in five years, you'd stay at that better hotel. You take the family with you. You'd appreciate that time. In 50 years, you're like, I'm working on making sure that I can still be like, you know, paying for the thing in 50. You know, there, there right, is right. a different choice, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes, yes. Based on that. Right. So it's, it's, it's a more selfless choice. Well, like an asshole though. I don't know if that's the case. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's a more yeah, selfish maybe. choice. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, you they, know, if I knew if I was dying in five years, like maybe I'd be like, fuck it. I'm not doing comedy at all anymore. Yeah, I'm yeah, just exactly. going to spend my money. <laughs> and, and, and read. Right, yeah. <laughs> read. I've got a lot of books yeah. to finish. We, we, uh, when you mentioned the whole, uh, how the when determines how you're going to live your life, uh, it reminds me of this uh, surgeon who I was working with and he's a very nice guy. And I remember him breaking the news to a, a, a patient that he's going to pass away soon. And he didn't use those words. He didn't say, uh, I've got bad news, diagnosis, you're going to, whatever. He just said something which which carried the message forward in a beautifully elegant way, which is 
he told the man, he said, I think you should organize your affairs, get your yeah. affairs in order. Mm-hmm. And that says everything. Yeah. And that's the time issue. You need this time. Yeah. To, to get your affairs in order. So, we so, all so would love time you, to get our affairs in order. Yes. And yes. sometimes you don't know that you, you don't get the warning that you've got to get your affairs in order. So you almost constantly have to have your affairs mostly in order. Yes, mostly. Like you don't need to be starting from scratch when <laughs> yes. you're getting your affairs in order, right? Uh, I, I have one more question and I'm going to wet myself if I don't ask you this question. Wet I, yourself, I, I wow. I've, I mean, I've been up early this morning. There's been a lot of coffee and water, so <laughs> I don't think I'm good. Uh, I, uh, so final question. I have a, I have a time travel device. Uh, it's a round trip. I can take you forward in time or backward in time, but it is only one trip. Um, you can visit, uh, anywhere in the world, if you would like to, or in the future, um, you can visit yourself. You can completely ignore yourself. You can go back in time and give yourself a piece of advice. I don't, I don't mind what you do with it, but it is one round trip. You can't stay there. And the first choice is whether you would go forward or backward. I'm always interested in whether if presented the opportunity to travel through time, you would travel forward or backward. Okay. This one is slightly easier than the last yeah. question. <laughs> I, I would travel f- uh, forward in time. Mm-hmm. Forward in time because I, I want to see what happens. I want to see what we as a species are capable of. Right. You know? So now here's the bigger question then. So if you're going forward in time, this is when this gets more interesting to me, which is how far forward? How far forward are you confident to go because here's some complicating factors about going forward in time. You can't go too far forward because you're going to be like an Encino man. You're going to be a man out of time. You won't be able to communicate with right. this modern generation if you go too forward in time. Yes. Also, you run the risk of whatever's happened on the planet, like climate change, wars, like nukes. Who knows what might have happened in the intervening time? You open the door, you're suddenly in some oh, you know, post-apocalyptic future that you haven't planned oh, for. So- like, how far <laughs> forward do you feel safe to go to to see how we've gone and evolved? Okay, so the round trip is not guaranteed. It's just, it's just a well, ticket. But it's a ticket for a <laughs> I need the machine I may back. Not, the machine I may not com- make it back alive. The machine comes back regardless. You're not like immune to... <laughs> like, yeah, I guess that's true. That's a good question. Yeah. Far, how far? How far how would you far? be confident to go forward? Ah. So then, <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would yeah. uh, before I before I uh-huh. put in the the numbers, I would go, hey Will, yeah. uh, the previous question, I would like to know when I'm gonna die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Weirdly enough, it's in the year. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. Then, then good point. And then I'm gonna. I'm, so yeah, so right before good. right before I you've you've right thought before, this through yeah right You're before the first person has thought this through that's what you've done <laughs> right before I yeah. no so I won't go I won't right before I yeah. die I punch in year five thousand yeah. I'm I'm gonna die in the next day right right I, and see what the see fuck? what happened and then and then yeah uh, okay yeah. so the, if if let's say I don't have the option Whoa, fuck it's so interesting well oh man. It speaks to how optimistic you are about the future. Like, so maybe talk me through that. Like, do you feel like, do you feel like human beings always feel like we're at an apocalyptic part of our like evolution or is this a particularly, like, it feels like we're final season Game of Thrones rushing towards the end with a speed that we don't really need to. We don't need to wrap up this whole human being thing quite as quickly as we seem to be like wanting to wrap it up, but uh, but like, where do you feel like we I are know, in yeah. that? I, I I'm in two minds because number one, although 
like I said, as I get older, I, I've, I've shared this with my friends that sometimes it feels like the world is crumbling around us quickly. You know, climate change, riots, protests, uh, you know, all these things, COVID, plague, everything. But then again, if you look back, look if you look back at history, every generation feels like the world is crumbling. You know, and we have made uh, vast advancements in our understanding of the world. So ultimately, although I feel that like a lot of objectively a lot of shit is going down, but we are improving, and that is the hardest thing to. It's hard to with social media. It's hard to clue in that hey we are. Uh, Improving, and you know, there's a whole there's a whole article that says that, uh, that, that you know you are living in the most peaceful time ever. ever. Yeah, right. We no, are these are the best of all times. Yes. Like in a historical sense. Yeah, these are the best of all times. Exactly, and things... it's good that we finally nailed it for the planet to burn. <laughs> Just in time Just to in die time. in a roaring fire. <laughs> but um, we're at so, our peak, guys. So if when when you simplify the question yeah. by how optimistic I am, I'm very optimistic. You know, and you know, there's a whole thing like I was born too, too late to explore, uh, to explore new worlds. But I was born too early to be the first interplanetary species. So yeah, I want to be that. I think, uh, 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 uh to not go too far, for, for me to to be an insane person, <laughs> I think let's see, maybe five hundred years to the future. Wow, because I want to see. You know, I love sci-fi. Yeah. I want to see whether we have achieved warp speed. We have, uh, uh, we can fly uh, beyond this, the speed of light. You know, uh, I'm a huge Isaac Asimov fan. And in his world, there are like a, a million planets under the Galactic Federation. And he can, you know, you can explore all those planets. I want to be that. I want to be, uh, to be able to at least go to Mars, Venus, and see what's like life on Another planet. So yeah, yeah. I would say go to the Mars Comedy Festival. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's like there's another guy there. Just a circuit. Yeah, Basically, yeah. what Anderson you're saying Will. is, I hope there'll be an international Anderson circuit. <laughs> Same uh, Mars Interplanetary <laughs> Comedy Festival. Yeah, <laughs> Anderson Wheel still doing shows. <laughs> yeah. So to see, I'm optimistic that we will be yeah. alive when. Uh, we achieve interplanetary uh, travel from Earth to Mars. That will happen in, in our lifetime, yeah. but I want to see beyond, so then beyond that. There's a tram you can take to Mars. Well, mate, this has been super fascinating. Thank you so much for doing it. I really appreciate you being on the uh, show. So people can find you, well, they can find your specials on Netflix. Yes. Um, uh, they can find you touring all over Australia. So people will hear this in the, so Melbourne, hopefully they might even hear this before the Melbourne Comedy Festival ends, but if they don't, you are f f touring all over Australia after that. Where can people find the details of that and everything else that you're doing? Okay, thank you so much. Uh, I'll be touring Australia and then the uh, rest of the world, uh, America, Canada, uh, the UK, uh, Indonesia, Singapore, Hong Kong, and of course, Malaysia. Uh, you can find all the details at my website, jasonleong.my. That's jason, L-E-O-N-G dot M-Y. Thank you so much. Thank you. Listener.